0: Felt a lot of guilt around the fact that I found it hard to be with Heidi and she had a really good explanation in that she kind of said to me she said I think what's really difficult for you is you've lost someone you love so much and if you didn't have a child with him, it's like you could almost run and escape and and run away from it all uh, and certainly I think deep inside all I wanted to do was run away but when you have a child there you're stuck or you're feeling stuck, but also that's your constant reminder of your loss right there in front of you. And that is both a beautiful but also a tragic thing. You know, every day I wake up with this beautiful child that I love and adore so much but is a constant reminder of everything that we have lost.
1: Hello and welcome to Parenthood Conversations about life after kids. I'm your host, Leonia Kidnor, and every fortnight I will bring you discussions about the real and raw realities of parenting. Life behind the Instagram filter. Join us as we laugh, cry, and bond over the organized chaos that is parenthood. Hi everyone. I hope you've been keeping well, particularly during these difficult times. Recording from lockdown once again, and to be honest, I haven't really been feeling myself over the past few weeks. We hit a milestone of 200 days in lockdown here in Melbourne a few weeks ago. 200 days of hospo being shut, of not seeing friends and family, of living in fear and frustration. 200 days with no end in sight. I read that they're aiming to have 80% of Victoria vaccinated by November, leading to hopefully no more lockdowns, but we'll see if that eventuates. I'd encourage everyone who's eligible to get the jab. I'm usually not one to get political, but really being vaccinated seems to be the only way out of this relentless situation. This is a real test for us all. Speaking of tests, today I'm bringing you a conversation with Jo Betts. She had the ultimate test of her life when her husband died suddenly one night from an asthma attack. Their daughter was four years old. Jo is a wedding celebrant, a business owner of Ivory Tribe, a wedding blog, and the creator of Grief, a guided journal used to explore grief through writing. She's an ambassador for many brands, and it's just amazing to see how she channeled all of that pain and energy into building a profile for herself and in supporting others who are going through difficult situations. Even if you haven't lost a loved one per se, this conversation is a great one in just understanding how you can navigate tough times, how to support your children when they're experiencing tough times too, and how to still find hope when you're sitting in the depths of despair. Let's cut to the conversation.
0: Hi Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hi Leonie, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you today.
1: So today, what I'd love to do is to delve a little bit more deeply into obviously your journey, but also how you navigate parenting when you're experiencing loss and, and trauma. So, you know, it is a heavy topic for our listeners today, but one that I think, as I always do, I love to bring topics to our audience that aren't spoken about enough and certainly how we navigate this, this area, I, I feel it isn't spoken about enough. And, you know, even if there's people listening who aren- haven't necessarily experienced a loss of a partner per se, they may have experienced a divorce or be going through a separation or be going through some financial hardship or or whatever it is, um, whatever that looks like for them. You know, life is a rocky road. So being able to really have, a, you know, hear from others' perspectives and others' journeys their lessons, I think is just such a great asset for us all. So um, that's where I'd like to go with this conversation
0: today. (laughs) Well, it all sounds good to me. And I think you hit the nail on the head, definitely, Leonie, in that, you know, grief, I'm kind of learning as much as we do associate it with the death of someone it does come in so many different forms and is something that we're all going to experience in different ways across our lifetime so yeah it's a really important discussion yeah,
1: absolutely. Let's start from the start. Um, I'd love to hear sort of uh, a little bit of a summary, I guess, of of your journey and your story. So, tell me a little bit about how you met
0: Craig, um, your your husband at the time. Yeah, so I met Craig uh, in a nightclub, actually, probably oh, around two it. or three a.m. <laughs> in the morning, and I clearly <laughs> had had a lot to drink, as had he, and, and it was really funny yeah. because we we met in Geelong, and Craig actually wasn't from Geelong or living there at that time. He mm. just had to be there for that night visiting a friend and uh, we encountered one another near the bar he thought that i was smiling at him he didn't realize that when i drink champagne i'll smile at anyone so <laughs> so we got you know we got chatting we shared a mm. bit of a kiss but the funny thing was i remember the next day thinking we'd exchange numbers thinking oh god we we seemed really different and i just thought i i don't really know whether i ever need to see him Again And anyway, Craig, you know, he texted me and -hmm. um, sort of started a conversation in that sense. And then he would call me and just be like, well, when are we catching up? I'd love to see Mm -hmm. you. And I kind of kept saying like, no, no, no. And then eventually Mm -hmm. I relented and went and saw him for dinner in Melbourne. And honestly, that was really it for us. So yeah, um yeah. and we were we were really different kind of people. I mean, Craig was really into these extreme kind of sports. He had a motorbike. Mm. He loved surfing, skydiving, mm. all these kind of things and mm. I, you know, in my life like I like reading books and going for a glass of champagne with my girlfriends. Like we were very mm. different, but there was something about Craig from the very get-go that was just so honest and genuine and loving that it was, it was very easy to be with him immediately because he, I don't know, he was the kind of guy that just always shared his love for people. And I was Mm -hmm. just really lucky that he loved me. So I guess after Craig and I had met. Funnily enough, he was actually due to go off on an overseas, round the world trip. Maybe three months after this initial dance floor encounter. Um, so I was devastated when he left because he was going off for a mate. It was an indefinite trip. We didn't know what was going to happen to us. But while he was away and overseas, we um, we talked so much on the phone. We spent a fortune on phone bills to one another and <laughs> emailing and things like that. And a few months in, it got into his trip. He said to me he thought about coming home and um mm. i just kind of felt like you know that we really loved each other but if he came home from overseas that was probably going to be it for us in that we would get married and settle down and i felt like i wanted to explore the world a little bit so mm. craig was very generous and kind and saying well i'll buy you a ticket uh come and meet me in another three months time in london and so i flew over to meet him and we lived there together for about three years and we had a ball just Mm -hmm. traveling the world and you know really carefree and in love and like some of the best Mm -hmm. times and then when we returned home and I was probably about 27 at that stage we moved to Melbourne you know working on our careers and things like that too and then he popped the question so we became Mm -hmm. engaged and then I think we were married when I was 29 years old Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah then we embarked on having A baby. So Mm. it, I, you know, it was one of those interesting things when we came to the decision about having a child, because Mm. we never really actually talked about it much. I can't say that I was the most overly maternal person. I assumed I might have children, but Mm. had never really given it much thought. And Craig and I were very, very content. It just being the two of us, I will admit. And then it was almost like, we just kind of went one day, let's, have a baby Mm -hmm. and I was incredibly lucky in that I fell pregnant almost immediately Mm -hmm. and suddenly we were parents.
1: Wow it sounds like kind of like that perfect journey you know like it's like we met and you know and then we ran away together and we (laughs) came back and then we didn't struggle with falling pregnant which you know which is an uh, absolute blessing. How was pregnancy life like for you?
0: Yeah, I found pregnancy actually quite tough. I, you know, struggled with morning sickness and, you know, not Mm. as severely as some do, but uh, for about 20 weeks of my pregnancy, I didn't really enjoy the pregnancy journey much Mm. at all. And I wonder whether, because I did fall pregnant so quickly, whether I was still a little bit shocked by that. I thought Mm. I'd have more time to perhaps mentally and emotionally prepare. And whilst I was excited, I did feel quite anxious about the birthing experience I'd always been mm. terrified of birth and what was to come I knew that I could had tendencies to be quite an anxious person so I worried that you know I might be a candidate for postnatal depression or something like that so I think they were all concerns in my mind so yeah I didn't I didn't love pregnancy mm. I can't I can't say that but um yeah. you know in saying that you yeah, as long as you have a healthy baby, that's really all that matters in the end, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can relate. I, I didn't love being pregnant. Actually, I'm generally... A more anxious type of person as well. and that just my anxiety just really flared up during pregnancy. I think hormones and all of that um, yeah. it's really tough, like it's not easy, and then you feel physically gross and like you just
0: yeah, and like don't you've lost control. yeah, I've lost control of your body, of who yes. you are and you're transitioning into this next stage mm. of life, and that's just really daunting in itself oh. because it's the kind of experience that you you can't. I I guess no one can tell you what it's like until you're actually in it. You can think what it will be like, but until you've actually had that baby, you really have no idea.
1: Oh, absolutely. So what was it like sort of the early years of when you did have Heidi? What was
0: motherhood like for you? Well, to be honest, so it was funny that I say that I felt so anxious about it because Mm. when I actually had Heidi... I don't know. It's like I did change a little bit into a different person. I had this like um, almost epiphany once I'd had it. Yeah. Maybe it was the drugs that were taken during the birth, but I felt like like the Lion King, like as in, oh, my goodness, like check this out, Craig. Look what we have done. We yeah. were the proudest parents and Mm. we all we wanted to do was parade her around and show her Mm. off and we were like oh my goodness like look what we have done this beautiful child no one has ever done Mm. this ever before (laughs) mind (laughs) you millions and billions of people have done it so we were really proud and I think Mm. I actually settled into motherhood quite seamlessly but I Mm. also felt incredibly lucky in the support that I had with Craig because I just felt like he put absolutely no pressure on me around breastfeeding or bottle feeding and he would be the first one to be getting up in the middle of the night to give Heidi a feed if I was too tired he just doted on her so it was actually an interesting change in dynamic in our relationship more than anything because I think we were both so thrilled to be parents and we're absolutely loving that but I think the challenge lay for us in that our relationship changed because all of a sudden we had this third person there. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd loved all like having all that time together when mm-hmm. you introduce a third person into, your, into it logistically things are a little bit you know more difficult in that mm-hmm. I guess if I wanted to go out for a night with friends well someone has to stay at home with you know my daughter Heidi and things like that too mm-hmm. so it was a shift in relationship for us but definitely in terms of of parenting, we were very happy. Heidi was a really good baby and mm. I, I count my blessings in that she was a good sleeper, a good feeder. And in terms of, you know, your first kind of experience into motherhood, I feel incredibly mm. grateful for the kind of baby that I had. So, because mm. I certainly know that, that that doesn't happen. But yeah, I think, I, I think there was a lot of teamwork between Craig and I and that It was a a 50-50 parenting kind of Mm -hmm. arrangement, as in he did just as much as I did, and I think that that really helps.
1: Absolutely. I mean, talking about the change in dynamic, you know, throw in sleepless nights, and you know, obviously the physical um, ramifications of giving birth and breastfeeding, if that's the way you go, and all of that, Um, hormones and Mm. everything. I think that was that was a surprise to me too. Um, Jules, uh, my husband and I were, you know, were rock solid before having children, Mm. and we were just living our best lives, being, you know, got our demanding careers and got all of that. However, um, yeah, you throw a baby in the mix, and it's just just like wow what just happened
0: <laughs> absolutely you're right everything shifts and I think yeah. one thing to mention like I mm. so whilst I loved the baby and you know Heidi was just mm. gorgeous I really struggled with um recovering after my birth I had quite a traumatic birth um and you know I I really struggled with the fact that taking a walk around the block like I I couldn't mm. do that in those first mm. couple of months and things too mm. and so I found that physical transition really, really difficult. And once again, Mm -hmm. quite an isolating experience because it's something that's not often talked about is the Mm -hmm. recovery from birth and, um, yeah, I, I probably remember saying to Craig, like, you just don't get it. Like, you just don't yeah. get it. So, all that little bickering and things, I think when we all do it is, you know, who's yeah, more tired, don't. all those kind of things. But yeah, as I said, look, you know, Heidi was a beautiful baby and mm. I couldn't have felt luckier in terms of the support that I had from Craig, you know, in our parenting journey. Mm, yeah. And then one day, obviously
1: everything changes for you. Um, and so, Craig, passed away from a a hard um, asthma attack sorry was that right yeah that's correct issues with asthma prior
0: yeah so Craig in all the time that I had known him had always had asthma now I don't have asthma so I must say that my understanding of that as an illness is really limited so you know I I knew he had it he used his puffers and things like that too and um yeah, I, I knew it was a struggle for him, but there was never in the time that we were together had I ever seen him like have an attack. So, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, Craig died in two thousand and seventeen in the middle of the night, very, very suddenly, and I, yeah, it's it still blows my mind that I guess that is the way that he died, mm-hmm. and that it was so sudden, and you know, that asthma is really something that I had no idea about Mm,
1: you just wouldn't like it's one of those ones like if you hear someone who has got like heart problems you're sitting there going oh okay that's that's quite severe and you know Mm. things but asthma I think like I mean similarly I'm so ignorant when it comes to asthma so I'm like yeah but so many people sort of seem to have it so you just isn't it interesting the level of severity and and in one attack that it can be
0: that severe and it's funny too because I Mm. reflect on that period of time and And once Craig had been pronounced dead and, you know, people are asking you what had happened, I knew Mm. it was an asthma attack, but I actually thought what had killed him was a heart attack because it all happened Mm. so quickly that I couldn't quite wrap my head around that that would be, you know, I thought it maybe triggered things off, but ultimately it could have been a heart attack. And, you know, once I got the coroner's, report, it said, you know, severe asthma or chronic asthma, um, is the reason that he had died. The heart was completely fine. So I got a little bit of a surprise from that as well but yeah definitely an illness that is completely underestimated because i think mm-hmm. there are so many people that have it and mm-hmm. certainly since that moment when people say to me they struggle a bit with asthma i'm always like mm-hmm. make sure you've got your asthma plan and that you're checking yes. with your doctor and things too because you know I've, I've encountered a few people who have known others that have died from asthma too mm-hmm. and it, it happens very quickly
1: Jeez. And Mm. so what was going on in your life at the time? Heidi was four years old. What was going on prior to that moment? And then where to from there in those early days?
0: Yeah. So I guess prior to that, in terms of, you know, we're married, you've got Heidi, who had literally just turned four a couple of months prior. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of career, I'm running a business called Ivory Tribe, which is a wedding blog and directory and, you know, managing heaps of wedding suppliers and putting out incredible content and so Mm -hmm. creating this you know incredible I guess digital publication that I was really proud of Mm -hmm. and after Craig and I had gotten married I had also started working as a marriage celebrant and I was kind of at the pinnacle I guess of my career in terms of being a marriage celebrant I think I had officiated about 450 weddings uh, just before Craig had died you know working every weekend but feeling I guess very fulfilled in a in a work sense. So so mm. life was going on the right trajectory. I think mm. at that time, mm. it, it, as I said, you know, uh, it's one of those things that almost is that life changing moment that in an instant. Mm. And I kind of liken it to that. Basically, I was woken up into the middle of in the middle of the night into a nightmare that sort mm. of played out over the space of maybe two to three hours. Mm. And my whole life, as I once knew it, had just been completely decimated. And Mm. so I think my initial reaction was a huge amount of shock. And I'm not Mm. sure, like, if I ever actually got over the shock of it. Sometimes it Mm. still feels like such an unbelievable experience um, Mm. to have been part of. I do remember feeling really scared. Like, I... I just knew. I, it just felt like I that like the punches just kept on coming. So you know, it's it's like your brain can only give you so much when you're going through that experience. So it's almost mm-hmm. like initially you're going, "Oh God, my husband's dead. I've lost my husband." An hour later, your brain starts to go to, "Oh gosh," but also the father of my child, mm-hmm. and now I'm a single parent. And then as the like the hours and the days and the weeks kept going on you encounter all these secondary losses that come through with, with I guess, losing a partner, particularly um, mm-hmm. things like financial loss. You know, I couldn't afford to stay in the home that we're in, so I had to move mm-hmm. back in with my parents. I had to all of a sudden, I've yet gone from two incomes to one. I've mm-hmm. lost my sounding board. I've lost, you know, my best friend. Um, Craig was a real supporter of mine so I felt like I'd lost that person that just backed me a hundred percent and in those as I said in those first few weeks you're terrified and you wonder god like what is going to happen to me how am I actually going to comprehend this situation and how am I actually going to make it through so I was I was incredibly shocked stressed Mm. worried and uh, saying that, I think I'm also a little bit stubborn. so there was definitely mm. moments where I just kind of had to take a bit of a step back and go, This is a really bad, bad situation, but you're just going to have to do it. there's no there's no other choice. And mm. I think that was also in my mind too. but yeah, it was a really a really dark time for me.
1: Oh, I cannot even imagine. How do you navigate your child and your relationship with her when you can't see the wood from the trees?
0: Yeah, so it's really tricky and I, I reflect on those early weeks and months and perhaps that first year and I, I don't think I feel like I was a great parent. I, mm. I would say I was absent, which I wasn't because I was there, but it was almost like I was a ghost of a person, of who I was, because you're mentally going through so much to then have the energy to deal with your child is a whole nother thing. But at the same time too, you're also linked to each other almost as this lifeline and, you know, things changed rapidly for us. So, you know, we were moved into my parents' home, which was, a great support, but they but they sort of probably picked up a lot of the parenting duties and things like mm. making sure that Heidi was fed at dinner time, doing our mm. washing, all the little things to I guess lighten the load a little bit for me too. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was incredibly difficult because I just had a lack of energy. You're not sleeping mm. properly. You, you you're upset. You're trying to I don't know be there for them, but you, you just feel so lost in the process mm-hmm. as well. In saying that, you know, I really highlighted that with my psychologist early on. I felt a lot of guilt around the fact mm-hmm. that I found it hard to be with Heidi, and she had a really mm-hmm. good explanation in that she kind of said to me, she said, I think what's really difficult for you is you've lost someone you love so much, and if you didn't have a child with him, it's like you could almost run and escape and and run away from it all. Um mm-hmm. And certainly I think deep inside all I wanted to do was run away. Mm. But when you have a child there, you're stuck or you're feeling stuck, but also that's your constant reminder of your loss right there in front of you. And that is both a beautiful but also a tragic thing. You know, every day I wake up with this beautiful child Mm. that I love and adore so much but is a constant Mm. reminder of everything that we have lost. So mm. I worked a lot with my psychologist around that. And she just kept saying to me, you know, where do you think you're failing? I said, I just don't think I spend enough time with her. Like it's like we'd start to play something or do something. Or I, I, I just kept thinking I, I should be spending like hours of one-on-one time just nurturing this relationship between us, but I just didn't have the energy or the capacity mm. to do so. And I remember she just said to me, she said, "Joe, 20 minutes a day is enough. And I Mm. got a bit of a shock because I thought she'd say to me, two and a half hours Mm. is Mm. what you have to spend one-on-one with your child. But she just Mm. said, you're rebuilding. She's rebuilding in a way too. We need to take baby steps, 20 minutes. If you can do that with her a day, one-on-one, it's a place to start. And as things Mm. get easier, things will progress for you. But it's been a really tricky I guess dynamic and change in relationship for us and certainly hasn't been easy. Mm.
1: How do you think Heidi, as a child, for example, processed? The grief, and and I ask that again because I mean children experience trauma as well um, in in many different ways. I'm just curious how you noticed Heidi and her behaviour change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think initially, I mean Heidi was only four, and and people would say to me, "Do you think she understands what's Mm. what's happened that her dad has died?" Mm. and I would say yes she she absolutely understood he was no longer there but I think at that age their comprehension of you know they they, they know that they're not there but I don't think that they realize that that means forever at that time Mm -hmm. and so I think initially she was really quite easy to deal with she's a really happy little girl loves to laugh loves to giggle but As time has gone on and you know it's coming up four years this September I notice that her grief is evolving and that she misses her dad probably more now than she did three or four years ago Mm -hmm. and maybe that becomes more apparent when they're in school settings and things too where where you see a lot more families etc but yeah it's been it's been tricky she she I think I can talk to her, but sometimes too, she's a little bit like me in that way. Sometimes you just want to avoid it and you just want to feel good. So you just go, oh gosh, that's, that's a yucky feeling. So, so maybe we'll just, you know, have a laugh or have a giggle instead. She's, she's a beautiful little girl, but I, you know, I, I do worry for her a lot too, because I think her grief is probably going to get worse over time. I think for us as adults you know, the way we comprehend things and our brains are more developed and we're, you know, we can make choices for ourselves. If I'm not feeling good, I can make the choice to go and see a psychologist or, um, you know, if it's Reiki that I need or whatever, but a child has no mm. choice in it. Essentially, as mm. the parent, you're responsible for nurturing them and through, through their grief. And, yeah, I think things will come up for her. You know, she goes off to her first day at high school when she graduates mm from school, when she's off to university, when she gets married, I think that's when she's really going to feel that absence even further. And, mm. yeah, I think if that's one thing I've learned is that is that their grief will definitely evolve.
1: Mm. How do you best support your child during a tough time? I mean, you mentioned obviously you had a psychologist. Did, you know, what are the things that you could recommend?
0: Yeah, so, look, initially uh, when Craig had died. I remember because I'm, I'm a bit of a problem solver, Leonie. So straight mm. away, straight away, I was like, we have got a massive problem and I'm here to solve it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was off to the psychologist straight away. And I, I mentioned to a, a couple of psychologists mm. actually that should I be taking Heidi? And they said mm. to me, she's just a little bit too young at this point. However, mm. now she is at school and, you know, poor Heidi had a bit of a tough start to school with separation anxiety. From me Mm -hmm. and the school reacted really quickly and in the most amazing Mm -hmm. way as in they have a counselling and a play based therapist sort of um, within their school Mm -hmm. structure and have made that available for Heidi and, Mm -hmm. you know, she she does that sort of weekly or fortnightly, so that has been really important. Uh, Another thing that I guess I've done is a little bit of research around organisations for bereaved children. So we're really lucky in Geelong that there's an organisation called Wombat's Wish which takes away children and their uh, parents or their surviving parent for a weekend away down the coast where it gives a chance for the children to understand that they're not alone in their experience, that there are other children out there. So I certainly have researched a bit in saying that. I also try not to research too much because I feel a little bit out of my depth on it and I also wonder whether you've kind of got to work off a little bit of instinct too. So I really try and ensure that with Heidi that with whatever emotion she is kind of feeling at the time that I allow her the opportunity to talk about it. I think initially I was probably doing the wrong thing. I'd try and cheer her up, you know, oh, yeah, look at this, like distract her because I hated seeing her sad or upset. But Mm. now I've realised that's, you know, that's something that I shouldn't be doing to myself, that I shouldn't be doing that to my child. Also, I know we got home On the sunday after easter and i found her upstairs and she just looked miserable and i was like oh what's what's going on she's like i miss daddy and i was like that's okay and we just crawled into bed and had a bit of a cry Mm -hmm. together and you know she was exhausted a lot of emotions going on you're around other families and i said like let's just let it all out i said it's Mm -hmm. it's completely okay for us to cry and be sad and, you know, I'll often say to her, do you, do you feel like angry? Are you annoyed? Like, what are these emotions? It's really hard for kids to articulate to mm. what they're going through, but. You know, and I, try, I I guess sometimes I try to be really open with what I might be going through as well. So sometimes, you know, if she's got home from school, I might say, God, I've had a really tough day today. You know, mm-hmm. um, something's happened that really made me miss daddy and I felt a bit sad. I'm okay now, but I just, you know, wanted to let you know so that she knows that her feelings are completely valid mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, I think it sometimes helps. Um, you know, whether you're joining sort of grieving communities and things too, is making connections with other people in similar situations that you Mm. can highlight a problem. I know I met, you know, a few women at this Wombats wish camp and we still keep in touch every now and then. And sometimes it will just be to say, I'm having a hard time with my child. Is there anything that Mm. you recommend? So Mm. they've all certainly been great avenues of support.
1: I think it's amazing as well not being too concerned about over protecting your child from, like, your own emotions too. I think that's, like, and just being okay to say, you know what, I'm not okay today or to be able to cry together. Because the first thing that comes to mind is, but... Often you're like, oh, but I don't want to see them cry because then I don't want to make them upset and they're, you know, going through a hard enough time as it is. And so let's just, as you said, be happy, Mm. you know, all good. Um, Was there some research or some advice that you received around actually, uh, you know, no, let's be vulnerable? What made you change your approach?
0: Yeah, I think, look, I think it started with my own grieving process, Leonie, Mm. in that I was in so much shock the first year and was, Just, I was trying to problem solve my way out of my grief, which Mm. meant that I was in total denial for a year, basically. And, Mm. um you know, I reflect on that year and go, wow, I can't believe I accomplished so much. But also I feel really sad for that person that just wasn't able to embrace her emotions at that time. And mm. I think what happened was in year two after I'd lost Craig that I hit a huge grief-like hole and um, mm. I started experiencing emotions around anger and disappointment and frustration and, you know, things that I probably deemed as negative emotions then but now realise it's just all part of the process and I think through my own learning I started to realize and you know in conversations with my psychologist that it was so important for me to be feeling any kind of emotion and not just trying to push it aside and I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got from a psychologist early on was they said I guess the best thing for you Joe, is that you're probably always going to be a step ahead in your grieving uh, than Heidi. So whatever you learn through that process, you know, you can impart that learning Mm. onto her. So I think, yeah, much sort of the same where I'd gone through this big, I guess, yeah, journey, you could say with grief around being in denial, you know, feeling anger and all like just learning more about myself, that I started to understand that it was really important for me to sit in my emotions, and understand them so that I could move through them maybe more quickly, or maybe um, yeah, learn a little bit more each time. And that, that was you know just as crucial for Heidi to be able to do that as well. Um, because yeah. if you keep squashing it down, it's just going to surface somewhere it else, bigger, up yeah, the bigger and yes. badder yes. At, at some point. And that's that's frightening yeah. in itself. I mean, I encounter yeah. a lot of people that might say to me. You know, I lost a brother or a child or, you know, whoever it was that they loved fifteen years ago still haven't dealt with it. And that, you know, uh, they're just like pushing and pushing and pushing back on it. And at some point I just really believe it will come back to hit you a lot harder than if you can just try and sit with it. And saying it, it's it's incredibly difficult. No one likes to feel bad. I you know, as much as I say I've read things that you've got to feel it to heal it, which is such a great, you know, a great sort of saying, but I get it. When you're in that really bad place, it's yuck, it feels awful and you just want to get out. So it takes a lot of strength to kind of go, right, I feel sad. I feel angry and just kind of sit with it for as long as you can kind of tolerate. It's so hard.
1: Like, mm. I, you know, on a much sort of smaller scale, but I just think about some challenges that I've had in life and that's the first, my, my first instinct is to say, no, nah, no, nah, don't want to do it. I'm going to go have a wine. I'm going to yes. go for a run. I'm going to meditate. <laughs> I'm just going to think of something, you know.
0: <laughs> totally. It's, it's never it's like, nice. let's just
1: sit in the feeling because it's awful. Yeah, <laughs> it really know?
0: is. And it's, and it's really hard when... You know, I've spoken to various people that say I'm just having Mm. a really bad day or something and Mm. it's, you know, what can I do? And I just kind of go, sometimes you just got to lie in bed or Mm. just sit with it and feel like right off the day, just say today is not the day tomorrow might be. And I often think that sometimes you might wake up the second day and go, oh God, actually, no, today is not the day either. Mm. But at some point you'll start to resurface a little bit. And I think now that i look back on some of those really really bad and dark times that's probably where i was doing the most amount of hard work and and growth and learning the most too and um, so it's oh, almost yeah. like you have to go go through that to come out the other side
1: absolutely so what did that mean we touched on sort of the the fact that overnight literally you went from two incomes to one mm. um and you were obviously you know prior you had ivory tribe you're in the wedding industry you know bringing couples together all about love what did that mean for you when you lost the love of your life
0: oh god like honestly i felt like i was in a black comedy or something mm, i and, and i, <laughs> I just, so it's like, it's so ridiculous <laughs> The we do celebrate. And I, I must admit when I was yeah. saying to you earlier mm. about my brain starting to grasp what had happened and what I'd lost, mm. at some point I remember thinking, I wonder if I've just lost my career yeah. because I didn't know whether couples or clients would be able to handle having a person sitting in front of them that had lost their own husband. Mm. I didn't know was I actually going to be able to do the job. That's um, what I thinking, like. so, and I was thinking. So, but I think that there was two aspects mm. to it. So you, to go back to financial, mm. I guess, do you know what? I had no choice. I mm. had no money. Um, I was so worried about our financial future and all of a sudden mm. thinking, my goodness, I now have a four-year-old child I have to raise for the rest of my life on my own. And I remember looking at my calendar of work ahead mm. and thinking, I don't know whether the smart thing is to say no because I need the money right now too. And then I guess there was the other side of me, look, you know, that I think likes a bit of a challenge and thought, no, stuff this. Like I've lost so much already. I don't need to lose this too. And I remember I reached out to my couples that were upcoming so I think I had to cancel two weddings I was back at weddings within I think oh, five weeks which now I'm
1: like only two oh, weddings that were ca-
0: what I, it blows my mind oh Leone and that's but that's where I go I think that was a girl that yeah. was in deep shock and yeah. I I just did not know what to do and almost yeah. if I liken it to I had lost control of every aspect of my life that worked seemed like the one thing I could could control I knew yeah. that I was good at it I know I have incredible clients, but I remember sitting out, sitting on my laptop like days later. And my sister's mm. like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I have to, like, I have to let them know, and I've got to cancel these two, but I think I'll be back for this one." And she's like, "You've lost your mind, <laughs> probably," <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't know what else to do, so I started yeah. to reach out to the next sort of month or two of clients and sort of mm. said to them you know something catastrophic has happened mm. i really want to be there and be part of your day mm. but i also felt like i was having to ask permission because i thought mm. maybe they don't want me and so it, it is it was frightening to put myself out there in that sense and go <laughs> God, what if they come back and actually say no this is too much we don't want you anymore we'll get someone else so i kind of you know said to them if if you still want me i intend on being there i organized that each wedding for that next couple of months i had a backup celebrant in case it got to the day and i didn't feel up to it and you know, a a really kind friend who was also a celebrant, you know, in that very first wedding that I had to go back to, um, which I was incredibly lucky. It was the most beautiful couple I ever could have asked for. And And their wedding was quite small. And they had just said to me, whatever happens, happens. If you do not turn up on the day, we get it we've got a friend she can read the script we'll meet up mm-hmm. at my house another time we'll sign the legal paperwork we just don't want mm-hmm. you know put pressure on yourself if you don't have mm-hmm. to but of course if you want to be there you're welcome to as well and um yeah celebrant friend said well i'll come with you if you want mm-hmm. and then that way um you know should you not feel up to it you can step aside But as I said, I think, Leonie, I think I'm a bit of a stubborn character because it got around to the day and I rang my friend said, nah, I've got to do this and I've got to do this on my own. And um, I have never felt more nervous in my life. Mm. I think I spent all day in a state of nausea (laughs) anxiety just going, wow. But, you know, put the game face on, it turned Mm. up there. The couple, the guests could not have been you know, more embracing, I guess the beautiful thing about a wedding too, it was almost like once I got there and I was back in my role, whilst mm. I was nervous, I knew what I was doing and everyone mm. treated me like I was there to do my job, which was which mm-hmm. was great. And, yes. um, you know, I remember finishing, but getting back in my car and just sobbing mm. like my heart out. It still, yeah, it makes me feel really emotional mm. thinking about it. But it was It it was a strange experience because I think it was also incredibly empowering at the same time too because I felt like I had this group of clients over those next couple of months that I reached out to who backed me a 1,000% when they didn't. Mm have to. And they just allowed me to do my job. I'm sure they probably all thought I was crazy <laughs> in the background. Oh, I but,
1: just, oh, I'm gosh. in admiration that you could stand up at a wedding, you know, where everyone's sharing their love and, you know, and to be brave enough to go, you know what, this is, this is what I do. This is what I love doing. And I'm going to, you know, this is what I want to do. I think it's.
0: Yeah. And I think, admirable. look, I was, I was probably quite good at separating it in going. Okay. Don't read too much into it. It's work. Mm-hmm. Just get out there and do the best job that yeah. you can. But I also feel like, too, I was going through such an incredibly hard time, you know, six days of the week, that to have two hours of respite from that where I got to work, walk into an environment where it was beautiful and did perhaps mm. celebrate love and, 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 you know, obviously that day is focused on the, the couple. Yeah. So I love that because it almost took the mm. focus off me and my life mm. for a little bit. And I could, could be in theirs and almost escape mm. to this like parallel sort of world
1: ivory tribe what was happening with your business as well on the
0: yes side? so also a tricky one because mm. i also had to go back to work pretty quickly yes. at the time there were three of us running the business and um one of the co-founders was having her first baby so she was on that leave oh. so it you know was a matter of of me having to go back to work but once again mm. i think it gave me a focus and a purpose yes. when it felt like i had nothing else at all so i felt like Mm. i slotted back into that fairly seamlessly my brain was really rattled by the trauma i'd experienced the night that craig had died so it Mm. i still don't think my brain has fully recovered which is a really interesting aspect of grief is i guess the physical toll that it takes on you and honestly i felt like and sometimes still do think did i experience like some kind of brain injury or something Mm. like i just my memory is not as great as it used to be um and so i had to take on the very basic task which was good because there was formula kind of behind it and writing and i could almost see myself as the months sort of went on i could take on a little bit more or be a little bit more creative in what i was doing but yes certainly i think i lost a lot of creativity in those initial phases but i i liked having something to do and you know almost I guess eight or nine months into it I did take a couple of months off work I um took Heidi to Cambodia we went on a yeah Mm. big holiday together Mm. and um that was I I needed a rest by then because Mm. I think I had just you know adrenaline takes you a lot of places I was just Mm. go 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 after craig had died and um yeah i certainly needed a little break from work by that time Mm. so that was that was really good but yeah i was lucky in that i think i was able to keep things things going and and i had Mm. to i had to from the financial um side of things for sure so that was a really frightening i guess process for me in that thinking you know You'd love. I'd love to have taken a year off and done nothing, but financially, yeah. I just, I just couldn't. I think that's the position many people, you know, widows or widowers would find themselves mm. in. In that, there's actually not a whole lot of choice around it.
1: Is there any sort of government subsidy, anything well, you can tap into if you're in this situation?
0: Yeah, and I was going to say, I guess this, you know, would apply for people that are in a mm. similar situation to me. But anyone, anyway, I guess, with relationship breakdowns, there's. Mm. Um, a single parenting payment through Centrelink as well as the family tax benefit. I mm-hmm. still get a little bit pissed off for widows though because yeah. I just, you know, where people in relationship breakdowns, I guess, have the opportunity to maybe seek out child support and things like mm-hmm. that. There's, there's mm-hmm. nothing further to help us. Uh, there used to be a widow allowance that I think you could get for uh six weeks or something, there was a a payment. But I know that they changed the age of that, as in I think you now have to be like 50 or 60 to receive that. So there really, Mm. there was not a huge amount out there in terms of support, but I would certainly, you know, as much as it can be really painful dealing with Centrelink, I think it's a great place to start to Mm. give some stability um or income coming in particularly if you can't work to be Mm. i guess looking into those avenues sooner Mm. rather than later and i think you know that's that's a big part of i guess when you experience a really sudden loss too is that the world keeps Mm. going even though you it's stopped for you the Mm. bills still keep coming in you're still paying rent or a mortgage um Mm. electricity so it, it doesn't stop and I remember I was very grateful to my mum and my brother who Mm. stepped in immediately and kind of said, you deal with the emotional side of stuff, Mm. but if it's okay with you, can we look into the financials here Mm. and Mm. see where you're at? Because Mm. these bills are going to keep coming and, you know, we need to understand where Craig was at as well and just, Mm. and just work out these things for you. So I was incredibly grateful for that support in that sense. Because do you know what I would have done? I just would have put my head into the sand and then maybe resurfaced six months, 12 months later and gone. I don't even know where to start.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. What still shocks me is that through such great adversity, I mean, I guess circling back to sort of where we began our conversation, you've been so passionate, open, positive. Your outlook is just you know, incredible in sort of taking that hardship and and really driving, you know, yourself forward in the best way that you can. And as you said, it's not like every day is easy by any means, Um, but essentially just trying to find your new normal. Ivory Tribe is, you know, a great success. Yes. Things are really pushing forward for you. I mean, I guess all in all, why do you think you are the way you are and 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 potentially what are the things that have helped you have that positive outlook and drive yourself forward despite the adversity?
0: Yeah, look, I think um, it's funny because I think until you're really tested, you don't really know what you're made of. So it's funny because I just had this natural instinct from the moment almost Craig died, and I remember turning to my mum in the earliest of hours of the morning and you know, just being devastated and feeling so lost, but also saying to her, I just cannot let this ruin my life. I've always really enjoyed living. Like I and, and look, have I been the most present person in the past? Probably not. I think I've taken a hell of a lot of lot for granted in my life. Um, but I think when you come to a really I guess, defining moment in, I guess, witnessing a death and being part of something that's so devastating, you start to perhaps, I you know, I often think of Craig and just think he'd give anything to be here and to be part of this world and to be living life. And I am lucky enough to still be here, as challenging as it is, and I try not to take that for granted. Am I up every day seizing the day? No, not really. But I, you know, I've taken a real step back in what I think it is that fulfills me, what I think it is that makes me happy. And um, I really drive myself to, I guess, try and make those things happen for me. And, you know, I think I've come to a point too where I just kind of realised that I, th- I thought bad stuff happens, like, mm. all the time, not just to me. It happens to people every hour, every day. And, you know, I started to probably really start to go, like, there's nothing particularly special about me. Like, what does the world owe me? Like, that, and it mm. doesn't. Like, the world doesn't really owe me anything. I guess mm. all I think I owe to myself, my child my husband and I, and I guess for those people that have really backed me is to try and I guess make the best life I can for myself. But in saying that, I think my, um, I guess, goals have changed now. You know, maybe if you had have asked me 10 years ago, I probably would have said, you know, ideally I'd have the flash house and a car and the most amazing outfits. And now mm-hmm. I kind of go, what's my goal in life? My goal in life is just to feel good. Um, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, I like a holiday every now and then and I just need a roof over my head and mm. my family and my friends around me and it's become that kind of simple. So I just am kind of embracing the kind of person that I am becoming and um, I think it's just been really been in the most tragic of circumstances, the making of me in a way.
1: So last question for you. How has motherhood changed you as a person?
0: I I just feel like with Heidi it's made me a lot less sort of selfish than perhaps I was in my prior life. And Mm. I think it's also brought out a really beautiful vulnerability in me because, you know, it's one of those things where none of us know what we're doing. I certainly feel completely Mm. out of my depth in the mothering stakes, but I actually don't mind that also because I think you know, the bond between children and their mothers, like, is something that is so special and unique and that we're kind of all learning and, you know, together. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's has softened me a little bit in a way. Not that I'm an overly hard person, but I, I just think it's mm-hmm. brought out aspects in me that I didn't perhaps realise because, I, you know, as we went and touched on earlier, I perhaps didn't know what the parenting experience was going to be like mm-hmm. or hadn't given it a huge amount of thought. So yeah, I've loved that. It's made me vulnerable and selfless.
1: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I can totally relate to everything you're saying too. Um, one of those lived experiences, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> um, to wrap up, how can people find out more about you and your work?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So people can, um, jump onto my website, which is www. JoeBets.com.au, and there you know i do a little bit of blogging and um i also sell a grief journal as well so people can find me and learn more about my story there and also yeah i share a little bit on social media too so mainly on instagram which is at joe.betts
1: perfect i'll pop those details in the episode notes too joe thank you so much for your time Mm -hmm. for your honesty and for sharing your story so vulnerably we really
0: appreciate it Thank you, Leonie. I've really enjoyed myself.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. Want to be part of the Parenthood community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Parenthood Pod. Now I'll let you get back to the organised chaos. Until next time.